It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Sheep man's trumpet. Here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hello, my friend. Brisk 10 degrees out there right now. I'm offended at the word brisk. You're not even close. (laughs) And my house, about 16 inches of snow. You got more than we do. We did. And I spent a lot of time on the tractor pushing snow and cleaning out driveways. Yeah. And you know when you're on that tractor, and I can say this because I was last weekend too, you're on that tractor all alone out in the cold, and a lot of thoughts run through your mind about moving to Cancun <laughs> or wherever. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it is beautiful, I yeah. got to say. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but Real cold. pretty, yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. So uh, today, we've kind of been following a mountain man trapper kind of theme for the last yeah. several weeks, and so I'm going to talk about some of the things the mountain men used uh, in their travels and, uh, you know, some of the equipment and stuff that they had. Oh, good. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is the boats. That the they boats? Had. Yeah. You know, for crossing rivers and going up and down stream. You mean canoes? Or? Well, I'll tell you. Oh. You'll, you'll see. Well, yeah. hurry, hurry. <laughs> okay. So they used rafts. They used dugouts and boats covered with skins called bull boats. And you, you've heard of those. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So these skin boats were called bull boats because they were fashioned from the hides of large bull buffalo, and which actually they copied from the Indians. And for some reason, they the, the bull, uh, the hide of a bull buffalo worked better than the cow. 
And I don't know why, but that's what they preferred, was the bull. You're supposed to be in-depth investigating why. I don't know why, but that's... So they were shaped like a round tub. You know, you've seen pictures. Or like a a half of a grapefruit. And they were difficult to control because they're round. You know, even if you have a paddle, it'd be difficult, you know. You're going to be like in a teacup going in circles. Yeah, going around. But the Indian women often used a bull boat made from a single bull skin for crossing streams and larger bull boats were they were kind of canoe shaped kind of looked like a canoe and designated as two three or four skin boats that's how they decided how big they were is how many skins well let me ask you did more than one indian when they started these uh get in these little boats to control the direction uh probably but let me go on here and you'll see how big some of these got some of these bull boats. Uh, so the large bull boat could haul several people plus supplies and packs of furs. So the mountain men, okay, there's a guy named Thomas James, and he wrote about one nine-man trip. Whoa. Uh, so nine men. And here he said, quote, here we made three canoes of buffalo bull skins, sewing together two skins for each canoe, then stretching them over a frame. Our canoe contained three men, about 60 traps, uh, weighing five pounds. That's 300 pounds right there. Um, 500 beaver skins, another 750 pounds. Our guns and ammunition, besides other commodities, each of these boats carried an estimated one ton with crew and goods aboard. Obvious question. When they built these bull boats, certainly they had some maiden voyages to see if they were going to leak. <laughs> I would think they would consider that. Yeah. But there's another writer that tells of a bullskin boat 20 inches deep carrying two and a half tons with a four inch draft. Yeah. So. Just, I mean, so they were very seaworthy, I guess. Yeah. Know? But the common single hide bull boat took various forms. Some were round boats built with flat bottoms and straight sides. Others were kind of curved, uh, kind of like an like an upside down bowl or like a bowl. Uh, the hair upside. No, down I'm sorry. A, a right side up bull. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the hair was generally left on the hide used to cover a bull boat, and was normally on the inside. So the hair was on the inside. Okay. Okay. Now the framework of the trapper's bull boat was fashioned from sturdy willow sticks, at least an inch and a half thick, at the butt end. These would cross in the bottom of the boat. Then he bent and bound to a stout ring formed of bent willow poles at the gunwale. In other words, so you got a circle around the top holding all these willow uh, branches. Cross pieces connected these main parts of the frame, and the whole structure was tied together with rawhide thongs. Really? Now, one method was how they built this. Uh, One method was to stick both ends of willow sticks into the ground to form a framework. So now we're talking about an upside-down dish. Okay. So you have these arches of willows, all right? Uh, after enough of these were bound together with cross pieces, the frame could be turned over and the bull hide fitted to it. Gotcha. 
So, G- green or wet rawhide. That's not a one-man job. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. So, green or wet rawhide was then stretched over the framework. The hide was bound tightly to the gunwale. It shrank as it dried in the sun or overnight by the heat of a low fire. The hide was bound tightly to the gunwale with heavy thongs all around. If more than one hide was needed to cover the frame, the skins were laced together, uncalked with tallow or beer grease. Where did they come up with all this stuff to well, know mo- what to do? Most of this was from the Indians. Well, how did they figure it out? Uh, years and years of uh, trial and error. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but a bow boat was not maintenance-free. Trappers bound downstream for St. Louis with loads of fur had to unload their bull boats every night and haul them onto shore to dry. Uh, constant caulking was needed, and even then the hides were good for a limited time before they began to rot and come apart. Now, dragging them onto shore, when you come out of a water situation, I'm sure you had to drag it across rocks and everything. Probably, yeah. You would think that they'd have a lot of damage. Yeah. Uh, I. But what they do is they'd unload the boat while it was still in the water, and then I think they could carry it up onto oh, the shore. gotcha. But uh, the single hide tubs used by Indian women for stream crossing lasted longer because they weren't used as often. Okay. So they could go, you know, they'd last longer. But trappers occasionally also used rafts. Now, the secret of building a strong raft when time and tools permitted was to notch the logs like you would a log cabin. Okay, notch the logs on each end. Uh, brace them with notched cross logs, then bind all the parts together. Uh, otherwise, the cry- craft might suffer the fate of a raft once built by mountain man named Zemus Leonard. Zemus. Zemus Leonard. He's a distant relative of mine. Yeah, I, I figured he was. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's what he said, quote, supposing the Indians were not so numerous on the opposite side of the river, he wrote, I resolved to cross over for which purpose I built a raft of old logs, laid my shot pouch, gun, blanket, etc. on it and pushed for the opposite side. Leonard made it across, but his raft stuck a, struck a rock and came to pieces. Leonard, his gun, blanket, and all other possessions were committed to the watery element. The loss of his gun left him alone in the wilderness with only his knife for protection or food gathering. Have you ever built a raft? I have. I've messed around with it. Yeah, we did when we were kids. Yeah. Uh, the two neighbors down the road and then another guy, we came over to my house and built a raft, threw it in the Rock River. Yeah. And got on it. Yeah. Temporarily. Yes. <laughs> Temporarily <laughs> being the main focus there. But the fur trapper and trader's favorite watercraft was often a canoe made by hauling 
hung out a large cottonwood log. And, you know, these were heavy. And they, oh. were, they were clumsy. Yeah. They were sturdy and capable of carrying a heavy load. Uh, two, two large dugouts slashed together and covered with a platform of poles made a primitive pontoon boat that could haul 10 tons or more. So I, I'd never thought of them making like a pontoon boat. Like they know? do over in Hawaii yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So they would do that and they could haul lots and lots of goods that way. What about their clothing and stuff like that? We'll talk a little bit about that. I thought you would. Okay. Okay. So You want to turn the mic back where it's facing you instead of beating it in circles? <laughs> so fire was essential, right? Yeah. The trapper's most common practice was to get a, a fire started by using flint and steel. Okay. So fire-starting steels came in various designs. A common one was the C-shaped steel, which fit over your three fingers. This was a popular trade item as well as an essential part of the trapper's outfit. In addition, the trapper carried flints against which to strike the steel. The shower of sparks produced would be directed into a piece of charred linen, uh, punk wood, a twist of dry grass or tinder from the inner bark of grape or dead cedar. Once the spark caught, the tiny glowing spot would gently fan or blown upon until it produced a small flame. I have trouble starting a fire in my barbecue pit <laughs> with starter fluid. So I, I have done this, and what you do is you make... We always called it a bird's nest. So you get this tinder, this really dry stuff, and you make a, a little nest, so to speak. Yeah. And you hope to get a spark. Uh, You've go- tried it with the flint? Yeah, I have. And once you get a spark in there, and once you see the spark, you start blowing on it. And pretty soon you get a little smoke, and then it'll burst into flame. And then, of course, you put it under the uh, little bits of uh, kindling that you've got. And then it goes until you have a, a pretty good fire going. You're Daniel Boone. I am. Uh, there's another method I'll tell you about that I've tried. It's called lighter fluid in a match. <laughs> Boy Scout fluid, we called it. But the mountain man had alternate methods for fire starting. One was to use his flintlock gun. I've heard about that. Okay. If yeah. the gun was loaded, as it invariably was, the trapper covered the touch hole, placed tinder in the pan instead of gunpowder, brought the gun to full cock, and unpulled the trigger to send sparks into the tinder. Into this little bird's nest thing. Wait, it would seem like you can only mess up a couple of times. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, they got pretty good at it. Yeah. So uh, now in addition to flint and steel, the mountain man often carried what they called, quote, a burning glass with which he could start a fire on a sunny day. Sunny is the key word. Is the key word. Yeah. Lewis and Clark carried dozens of these small lenses for fire making and for trading to the Indians. Yeah. And I had never thought about using that. You know, I knew about the. You get thirty days of clouds and you're cold. You're going to be yeah. (laughs) But you know, uh, now another method um, was the uh, bow and drill. Oh yeah, and and that takes a bit of a skill too to be able to use a bow and a drill. Now, don't they teach Boy Scouts that? Oh yeah, and and, I, and you know how to do that. I have done that. You've yeah. done that. Uh huh. And it, the key is having uh, the right equipment, the right wood, so that you can get a you know as you turn the bow, uh, then the stick uh, forms a uh, a little ember which then drops down, and you put that into your little bird's nest, start blowing, and hopefully you get smoke How long fire. does this take you? You know, some guys can do that in 
probably a minute. You're kidding. No, some of them really know what they're doing. They can do that very, very and quickly. And I can start a fire with my uh, charcoal starter in less, in less than, than 10, 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, travel, trappers traveling alone or with one or two companions were often caught away from their semi-permanent camps in pretty bad weather. And weather permitting, the trapper slept beneath the open sky. He might take the trouble to place his buffalo robe on a mattress of leaves or pine boughs. Then he pillowed his head on the saddle and wrapped himself in his blanket for the night. Uh, you know, Zeb, uh, you and I have ridden a lot of horses, and I don't know that I'd want to wrap myself in my saddle blanket after my horse has been traveling all day long. You take, like, on the old TV series Rawhide. Yeah. And they get off their horses and everything, and a lot of times use their saddle blankets, and I'm going... <laughs> Huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to wrap up in my saddle blanket. Yeah. But anyway, if he was staying several days in the same area or if the weather was especially bad, he built a primitive shelter, usually near a stream where they had water and he could find wood for his fire and grass for his horse. And his hut would often be no more than a buffalo robe stretched over a framework of saplings stuck in the ground and bent over at the top. Uh, in front of his shelter, he built a fire to protect uh, uh yeah, so the, the fire would come inside. But what did he use to keep warm at night if he used the buffalo robe for the roof? Uh, good question. Yeah, he used his saddle blanket. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this was a structure. This was like an upside-down bowl. I see. With, yes. 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 With, so, yeah. Okay. So where am I? I you're right there. <laughs> okay. Number seven. Here we go. <laughs> Or is that number six? Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm going from page different pages in this book. So here's something I'll bet you never thought about. Okay. There's a thing called a pad saddle. Now, according to trapper Bill Hamilton, mountain men riding into skirmishes sometimes utilize the special lightweight pad saddle developed by the Indians. Okay. Indians use this substitute saddle weighing perhaps three pounds to give the horses added speed and endurance in battle. Now, the pad saddle, basically a leather cushion to be filled with dry grass or buffalo hair, was sticks through the center to divide it into halves. It usually measured about 20 inches uh, long by 16 inches wide and was equipped with a cinch and stirrups. Let me show you a picture, Zeb. So oh, look yeah. at this right here. Oh, my. So it's basically yeah. like a pad with stirrups and a cinch. Yeah. And that was it. So that would eliminate me from hurrying down the trail. <laughs> or making quick turns. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now another thing that maybe you, you've seen this uh, pictures of this, but a lot of times they had a case for their gun, a yeah. leather case. Scabbard. Well, not necessarily scabbard like we would think of. When I think of a scabbard, it's uh, something to tie onto my saddle uh, that the gun is going to fit in. Yeah. This is more of a covering. Oh, really? Just a covering, yeah. Okay. So here, let me show you a picture. Like what uh, Quigley down under right, took. Right, exactly. Yeah. So here's the picture you see. Oh, okay, yeah, so that's what just, Quigley had. Yeah, so it's just a covering, yeah. not necessarily tied to, to the... Okay. To, so... Gun case design varied among mountain men. Some trappers used full cases that were decorated with fringe and beads and yeah. things like that. Others were just plain, and some didn't use any at all. And materials commonly used were either a blanket, 
material or tanned buckskin that had been smoked and would stay soft because this needed to be fairly flexible, oh, fairly yeah. soft. Yeah. A major consideration in designing the case was always how fast the shooter could remove the gun from the case. Oh, absolutely. You needed to be able to get that gun out quickly. Yeah. And they also made kind of a partial case uh, that was a little smaller, and it could be taken out quicker. Okay. So, now... Here's something not, but you never thought of because I haven't. Okay, well that <laughs> okay. means if you didn't think of it naturally, I you would think not of have. It. Absolutely, the mountain man needed a method of keeping the powder dry on his gun. Uh-huh. Okay, one common practice was to make a cover for the action of the flintlock from rawhide taking from a buffalo calf's knee. Okay, now let me show you a picture. We're covering just the flintlock part of, of the of the gun. Huh. That has to be kept dry, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the shape of the knee of a buffalo calf naturally fit into the gun just perfectly. So they would measure the gun, cut the leather to fit the pattern. The cover is folded over the gun action and secured. So when I say action, folks, that means uh, the flintlock, the, the, the trigger, the, yeah. you know, where, uh, yeah. So... But that also made it so that the lever, leather uh, could be removed r- rather quickly. But what about if they fell into a stream or something uh, with the powder horn? They would... were in trouble. Well, yeah. the powder horn was made to keep things dry. Yeah, but would it? I mean, no. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they made it, uh, you know, weatherproof enough. Yeah. Now, here's another thing I'd never thought of. Oh, I... that's... Then I'm sure I didn't either. <laughs> okay. We're moving right along. Yes, we are. <laughs> so a knife sheath lined with horn prevents the blade from cutting through the leather. And this was made by getting a horn from a buffalo. Uh, he would soften the horn by boiling it. He would put the knife inside the horn. He would then place it between two smooth boards and then tighten it with a vise to flatten the horn to shape to the shape of the blade. What did they think of all this? I don't know. And how did they sharpen their knives? I, that I don't know either. I, I they th- go down to a sporting goods store and buy I, one of those stones? I think or? they use rocks. You know, like a well, you can't rock. just on any rock. Well, not any rock. So, but anyway, with the, they would next cut a piece of leather for the sheath and fit that this around the horn. These guys were very inventive. They were. Now, a lot of times, these guys also carried tomahawks. Oh yeah, and they would usually tuck that behind uh, the belt, and sometimes tighten it in place with a thong so they wouldn't lose it. And others actually made a rawhide uh, sheath for their tomahawks as well. You know, it's surprising that a lot more guys, uh, uh, mountain men, didn't get hurt if they fell off their horse or got yeah. bucked off or whatever. Yeah. And man, I know we're about out of time. Let me cover just a couple of more things real quick. There was a thing called a parflesh. And this was basically, uh, it was kind of a leather envelope that served as a kind of like a wilderness suitcase for carrying extra clothing and property. The parflesh was good for carrying pemmican. And depending on how big they made it, it's kind of like a pack, a way to pack your stuff. A duffel bag. Yeah, kind of. A mini yeah. duffel bag. But uh, it's normally made from rawhide and, uh, it was able to keep be kept shut. Uh, they also made a pouch, a round pouch with a string at the top that they could pull tight, uh, and they would carry things in that too. And uh, maybe eighteen inches by ten inches in diameter, 
made from leather, of course. Let me show you a picture. Yeah. So here was the the pouch that they could Holy make. Holy smokes. And they would have a string around the top like this that they could pull tight, and, they, and then it would... Uh, Cover the top. And they could carry that on their back. Yeah. They had this this extra string they could just put over their shoulder. Oh, B. I've only got a 30 seconds left. Okay. Uh, leggings. A yeah, lot real, of time. real quick. Mountain men sometimes wore leggings, uh, you know, that they made from this, you know, to protect them from the cactus, from rocks and brush and things like that. And, of course, they made those to fit because you didn't want a six-foot-six guy wearing a five-foot-eight guy's Leggings. Nah, it wouldn't look good. It wouldn't look very manly. <laughs> so that's just some of the things. Let's do some more of this next week. That, uh, I'd know. like to find out about eating utensils and everything else. Of course, I might food. Be able to see if I can find something. Find something. Yeah, usually their fingers. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't hold those over the fire. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.